0: Okay. Um, we're doing fluid dynamics. That means moving fluid. We did fluid statics last time. We called that hydrostatics. This is hydrodynamics. Uh, we have a couple things that we're going to demonstrate today. A bucket of water. It's not filled yet. A hairdryer. Andrew, or Alexander noticed these are things that do not normally go together, but uh, it's physics class, so we're going to have some fun. Uh, those of you sitting in the first two rows, you may get wet. There's my disclaimer. Yes? Sorry. Uh, what I am going to do, actually, these are two separate experiments, so we will not be dunking the hair dryer in the, in the water, you'll have to wait for Physics 51 to possibly do that. I don't know, I'm not teaching 51. Um, okay, so what I'm going to do is start with the demonstration, then we'll go through and we'll learn to understand what's going on in the demonstration. So some of you may have seen this before, um, I'm going to levitate ping pong ball. with the hair dryer. Okay, what it's doing now is probably not very surprising. Right? Air blowing up from below is pushing it up. Gravity's pulling it down. Those forces balance at some point, and it levitates. Um, I can do something that might be a little bit more surprising. air dryer does not need to be below the ping-pong ball for that to happen. Okay, so it's not simply air pushing up on the ping-pong ball. There's something more going on. To understand it, we need to go through and learn about Bernoulli's law, Bernoulli's equation. Okay, so that's what we'll do today. Um, we'll basically introduce two equations. One is the continuity equation, the other is Bernoulli's equation. And these are the the two primary uh, equations that govern fluid dynamics, okay, for our purposes. There are more sophisticated equations that model more uh, complicated fluid flow, but these two form the basis of the Physics 50 description of how fluids move. So let's consider fluid flowing along these streamlines so these dotted lines represent the path the fluid will flow and if we consider streamlines contained within a cylinder this could either be fluid moving say like an ocean current and we're just considering the path within some sort of imaginary volume or this cylinder could physically be a a tube or a pipe or a conduit so for our purposes let's make it simple and let's imagine this is a, a physical pipe that the fluid has to flow within it um, everything we derive is more general than that and these could represent just uh, some boundaries which contain all the flow of the fluid inside and don't actually represent physical boundaries okay so if, if this is a tube that has fluid flowing through it then as fluid flows in through some input there has to be fluid that flows out through the output once it's in the steady state so once this tube is filled with fluid, and assuming that it's incompressible fluid, for our purposes that will be liquids, um, if fluid flows in, then fluid has to flow out. The amount of fluid that flows in has to equal the amount that flows out. Okay, so the rate at which fluid flows out should depend on the rate at which it flows in. Right? The faster you put fluid into the tube, the faster it should come out. That is to say, the volume flow rate in should equal the volume flow rate out. Okay, so volume flow rate. We'll use capital V to represent volume. So the time rate of change of the volume going in through one surface, we can write, and you can see it from this diagram, if we multiply both sides by dt, then V times dt is the velocity that the fluid's flowing times the time it's flowing. So that's a distance. So V times dt is how far the fluid has flown in, and A is the cross-sectional area of the tube. Then area times V times dt is the volume contained in this sort of purple disk. So it's the volume of fluid that has flown in through the surface, dV. Okay, so dividing both, or expressing this as the change in volume contained in the tube divided by time, that's what we call a volume flow rate. And it equals the area in which the the fluid flows in times the velocity that it flows in with. And so if we say that the flow rate in has to equal the flow rate out, we could apply the same expression at the output. And if the tube, let's say, narrows, we would have a different area, a smaller area. And therefore, we would have to have a faster velocity. Okay, so expressing that here as as a conservation equation, we can say the volume flow rate in equals the volume flow rate out of a tube. And we can pick any two points in this tube and call them our input and our output. They don't have to be physically the, they don't have to physically correspond to an opening in the tube. So We can relate the velocity at point one, where the cross-sectional area is A1, to the velocity at point two, where the cross-sectional area is A2. And that's for an incompressible fluid. Say the volume in has to equal the volume out. Okay, so that would be true for most liquids. A slightly more general form that we could use, for example, if we're dealing with, with uh, gases, is we could say the mass in equals the mass out. And so just by multiplying by the density, if the density is allowed to change as the fluid flows through this, this tube, then it's the density times the volume flow rate that gives us the mass flow rate. Okay, We're mostly going to deal with incompressible fluids, um, even gases like air. In the typical circumstances, we're going to deal with um, we're not going to see significant effects due to the compression. Okay, So A1V1 equals A2V2. That is the flow... That is the continuity equation for the fluid flow. Um, We can use that in a lot of ways. And we'll do some examples a little bit later. But um, one example might be, let's say you've got a pool that you want to fill up. And you put a hose into the pool, turn it on, and you want to know how long it's going to take to fill up the pool. Should you wait there until it fills up? Should you go and have lunch? Should you go on vacation? How long do you have to wait before you come back and turn it off? You could use this this, uh, continuity equation to figure that out. Here we've got fluid flowing out of our hose, and presumably we can measure the area of the hose. We could also pretty easily measure the Velocity of the fluid coming out of the hose or the speed. Lots of different ways to do that. We'll see today one way you could do that is by pointing the hose straight up. The faster it's going, the higher it will go up. We'll derive the equations using Bernoulli's law to relate the height that goes to how fast it's going coming out of the hose. You could also just estimate it or maybe you could measure it by observing bits of the fluid as they they flow out. Um, So it flows out of the hose and it flows into the pool. So the area of the pool is something you could easily measure. Right? You get your meter stick out or you just march off the width and length of the pool. And what we care about is how fast the pool is filling up, right? or how fast the water level is rising. And that's going to be equal to the rate at which the fluid is flowing out. If we imagine connecting the hose to the pool with sort of a virtual pipe, right? We can imagine the fluid flows in this end and out that end. And if we figure out how fast it's coming out this end, that's the rate at which the water level is going to rise. If we know how fast it rises, it's a trivial matter to figure out how long it will take to rise one meter, two meters, however far it has to go. So we can use a continuity equation here. We can say the flow rate out of the hose, and this v, let me be explicit here and make that a lowercase v because I've got velocity and I've got volume that I'm dealing with, so I'll consider volume always an uppercase v, and velocity always a lowercase v. Okay, so that's the flow rate out of the hose. So the continuity equation says that has to be the same as the flow rate into the pool. So I can solve this for the velocity of the pool by just manipulating the expression and this is something that's useful to do because these parameters are all things that are relatively easy to measure, whereas if I try to measure how fast the water is rising directly, it's going so slowly um, that that might not be an easier, quick measurement to make. All right, so that's one application of this. Um, let's try to understand how the fluid flows a little bit more um, by considering the same by considering the same flow of fluid through a... Now, we'll imagine it's through a pipe, but again, it doesn't have to physically be constrained by some physical conduit. This could just be the flow of fluid um, through an open, uh, you know, somewhere in the ocean or in the atmosphere or in an open volume of fluid. Uh, we can talk about the work done by the pressure. Pressure exerts a force. And if the fluid is moving, and there's a force acting on it, there must be work being done by the pressure. Work is a transfer of energy. So if energy is being transferred to the fluid as it moves, then it must go into either potential energy or kinetic energy. And so by keeping track of those, we can basically derive conservation of energy for the fluid. That is Bernoulli's equation. So we'll do that. Uh, To start with, let's look at the work being done by the pressure. There's pressure out here pushing in on this element of fluid that's going in. And over here at the other end of the tube, there's pressure pushing against the fluid that comes out. Now if the input flows a certain distance, we'll call it ds1, the output has to flow a distance ds2. Those have to be related by the continuity equation. So if this is a large area relative to this, this will be a large distance relative to that. So that the volume that goes in equals the volume that comes out. Okay so the work done, the differential amount of work is the force times the displacement and here on this face of the tube we have a force of P1A1. Pressure at that point, point one, is force per unit area. So if we multiply that by the area of the opening to the tube, that gives us the force pushing fluid in. DS1 is how far it gets pushed. So this is the work done by pressure pushing in this element of fluid. And then there's also work done by pressure, or in this case, if the fluid is moving this outward, there's work done on the pressure by this fluid moving out. So that's a minus sign, because the pressure's pointing in, and I've drawn the fluid pointing out. So that dot product gives us a minus sign. The force pushing in on the fluid over here at point two is the pressure times the area. And the distance that it moves, we'll call ds2. And now I can look at this, I can say, A1 times ds1, that's the area of this cylinder, times the height. That's just the volume of the cylinder, and likewise, we know whatever volume comes in here is the same volume that comes out, and a2 ds2, that's the area of this cylinder times the height. That's the volume of this cylinder, which has to be the same as the volume of that cylinder. So we'll call the volume dv in both cases, and we'll factor it out of this equation leaving us with P1 minus P2, the pressure difference, times dV, the element of volume that's pushed through the tube. So That's how much work is done, pushing an element of volume dV through the tube. So this becomes useful if we consider that work going into the energy of the fluid. right? So it can go into the kinetic energy or it can go into the potential energy. So kinetic energy is 1 half mV squared. So let's look at the final kinetic energy minus the initial kinetic energy. And that's going to be how much the kinetic energy changes. The final kinetic energy of the fluid is 1 half mv squared. The mass of this fluid we'll write as the density times the volume, so rho times dv. So 1 half, this term is the mass of the fluid coming out of the pipe, times v squared. So this first term here is the kinetic energy of the fluid flowing out, that's the final kinetic energy. The initial kinetic energy is that of the fluid flowing in, so that's going to be the one-half rho V, so this is the mass flowing in, times V1 squared. So The second term is the kinetic energy going in, so we have kinetic energy out minus kinetic energy in, or kinetic energy final minus kinetic energy initial. That's the difference or the the change in kinetic energy of the fluid when it goes from point 1 to point 2. And we can do the same thing for the gravitational potential energy. If this tube has an output that's at a different height than the input, so this is y2, this is y1, then the difference in potential energy due to the weight of this volume of fluid is mgy2 minus mgy1. So mass is rho dv, density times the volume. So this is the mass of the fluid times g times y2 minus y1. Okay, so we have expressions for the work done on the fluid, its change in kinetic energy, and its change in potential energy. Kritika? Uh, so the, for the, one and the, two is the same. It is because we have an incompressible fluid. So any fluid that goes in has to push some fluid out, the same amount of fluid. So that's one of our assumptions. And so if we take this and we say the work, that's the left side of this equation, equals the change in the total energy, because that's what work is. Work is a transfer of energy. So if we transfer energy to the fluid, it has to go somewhere. It goes into the change in potential or change in kinetic. We relate those two things. We can then rearrange terms to get all the terms that depend on the input on one side and all the terms that depend on the output on the other side. Right? So the first thing we see is that the dVs cancel. So we don't need to consider those. And then we've got terms like P1 on the left. Uh, on the right, we have minus rho GY1. So when we bring that to the left, we get plus rho GY1. And we have minus one half rho v1 squared so we bring that to the left and we get plus one half rho v1 squared on the right hand side we get similar expressions but just as a function at point two okay so this is bernoulli's equation right here it looks like a very long and hard to remember equation it's got six terms in it but it's really not so hard to remember um, if you relate it to one you already know this is conservation of energy this is conservation of energy for fluids, okay? So if we look at the terms, um, the left side is going to be the energy at point 1. The right side is going to be the energy at point 2. And each one of these terms has some meaning. So P1 is the pressure at point 1. So pressure is force per unit area. But you may remember last time I said we can also think of it as sort of the internal energy of the fluid per unit volume. So this is like the internal energy of the fluid it's due to the microscopic motion of all the molecules vibrating around it's so the internal energy of the fluid plus this is like potential energy potential energy is mgy right but now we're just replacing the mass with the density right this is really conservation of energy where we consider the energy per unit volume right so if this was the internal energy per unit volume This is the potential energy per unit volume if I use the density instead of the mass. Density is mass per unit volume. Same thing over here. This is kinetic energy per unit volume. Just replacing the mass with the amount of mass per unit volume, which is rho, gives us uh, that per unit volume. Okay, So I have the same form on the right side. So it's really not that hard to remember. It's just conservation of energy. But it turns out to be really useful in understanding how fluid flows, right? Anytime you have fluid, if you can identify a point where you know something about the fluid and another point where you want to know something about it, then you can start plugging in terms into this equation and solving for the thing you don't know. Okay, so this describes a lot of things. Um, that is just what I had recently said. Um, And my plan was to give you all clickers and to do a couple click questions, but I ran out of time before class started, so what we're going to do is just do this without clickers. Let's consider a couple problems. Um, Multiple choice. You can think about the correct answer on your own, and then I'll ask for a show of hands. Uh, Let's say we've got a a tube that's wide at this end and narrow at this end. So wide input, a narrow output. Uh, Here's the parameters. The radius is twice as large here as it is there. So an incompressible fluid, so you can imagine water as an example, flows through a pipe of various radius as shown. Compared to this end with radius 2R, the end with radius R has, we have to figure out the fluid speed and volume flow rate. What equation are we going to use to relate the speed and flow rate? We have two, two that we've introduced today, the continuity equation, right? That relates flow rate. So A1V1 equals A2V2. That's the continuity equation. Each one of these terms is called the volume flow rate. Okay, so here's our tube, this is A1, that's A2. So the first part of this uh, that's easy to solve is what about the volume flow rate? Continuity equation says they're the same, okay? So they have to have the same volume flow rate, okay? So one or two are reasonable. Uh, next, we want to relate the speed, so that's the V in this, this expression. So we're looking for the speed here, we're looking for V2 and how it compares to V1. So what we need is this ratio, A1 over A2. So how much bigger is the area of this end than that end? Four times, right? Four times. The radius is twice as, twice as large, right? But the area is pi r squared. So we have to square that twice as large. So we can plug in pi 2r squared here and pi r squared here. I'll go ahead and do that. Pi times 2r quantity squared over pi r squared. So the r squareds cancel out, the pi squareds cancel out, I get 2 squared. So the velocity is a factor of 4 times greater. So choice one. OK, how about this? A pipe that narrows and then expands back with an incompressible fluid in it uh, compared to point one, which, by the way, is not at the input or an output just somewhere along the, the flow, uh, the fluid at point two, where the, the uh, pipe is narrower, has, we want to know about pressure and flow rate. What equation do we need to relate the pressure at those two points? The last one we did, Bernoulli's equation. Bernoulli. Bernoulli's equation relates pressure and velocity and height. Right. So I'll remind you that looks like P one plus rho g h one plus one half uh, rho v one squared. If I call that h. I can call it y. Maybe I'll call it y. I think I did that in the slide. Equals P two plus rho g y two plus one half rho V2 squared. So we use that because it relates pressure and velocity. Um, this pipe is horizontal, and those points are at the same height. So Y1 and Y2 are going to be the same, and those terms will cancel. So I can say, for example, um, the fluid at point 2 has, oh, solve for P2. P2 is equal to P1 plus 1 half rho V1 squared minus 1 half rho V2 squared. So, in order to know which pressure is greater, we need to know which velocity is greater. Where is the velocity the greatest? Point 0.1 or 0.2? Point point OK, point 0.2. Peter, why? it's narrower. It's narrower So the continuity equation tells us if it's narrower, it has to be flowing faster to get the same amount of fluid through. Okay, so V2 is larger than V1. That makes this term negative, which means the pressure at 0.2 has got to be lower. Okay, what about the flow rate? Flow rate greater, less than, or the same? It's the same. Continuity equation tells us it's going to be the same. Okay, so same flow rate and lower pressure, option four. So this might be our first counterintuitive result. Um, all the molecules, all the water or the fluid is getting, getting pushed together here, so it might seem that its pressure is going to increase. That's not what happens. Rather, it's not being pushed together. It, it's speeding up to get through that bottleneck and in the process it's converting its internal energy which is pressure it's converting its internal pressure into velocity into kinetic energy It's converting internal energy to kinetic energy to get through there in order to maintain the same volume flow rate um, so that may be a little counterintuitive it turns out that's what's responsible for lots of interesting phenomena that occur when you have fluid flow okay so here's an example an interesting phenomena Right, the soccer ball, uh, it curves. It goes around the wall, curves into the goal. So we can understand that using the Bernoulli equation. Okay, and that could be a soccer ball, it could be a baseball curving, a golf ball. Um, there's a baseball in the animation that I've got here. Um, let's consider, sort of in a cartoon way, forward molecules of air, okay, or these, these, represent, um, these represent the position of the little chunks of the fluid that a material is flowing through, that our solid baseball is flowing through. Now if the baseball doesn't have any spin, and it moves this way, right, when it gets to the air here, the air has to move out of the way to make room, and if there's no spin, Then what you'd expect is any of the molecules that are on the top half of the baseball would go over the top. Any that were on the bottom half would go over the bottom. And the baseball would go through. Uh, But if there is spin, the surface friction drags the molecules. And I well, let me let me go back. Let's watch this. If you notice that diagram shows three of the balls, three of the little cartoon molecules going underneath what's happening is because it's spinning this one which is on the top half of the ball is actually getting dragged underneath okay, so it's not symmetric it's easier to understand what's going on in the reference frame of the baseball so if we imagine the baseball is fixed and the air is moving towards us this is what we see yeah, I'll play that a couple times there's in the reference frame of the air, and in the reference frame of the baseball. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll follow the path of a streamline that goes over the top and a streamline that goes over the bottom. And what we see is that the path around the bottom is longer, right, than the path around the top. And the Just the physical distance is longer. Therefore, this red path is longer than this orange one. Uh, What about the time it takes these molecules to pass from here to here? The red path is longer, so you might expect that red molecule takes a longer period of time to follow that path. Does it? No, Tim, you have a reason? It's however fast it takes the ball to get by this location, all the air is doing is going up and down to allow the ball to pass through. So the time it takes from here to here is just the time it takes the ball to pass by. Sam? That's right. You can't throw curveballs in vacuum. Uh, fortunately, there's no place that you could play that's in vacuum. But um, yeah, so definitely it's a it's a function of the atmospheric pressure. Okay, so V2's got to be greater than V1. The velocity going along the of the air going along the bottom of the ball is greater than that of the air going over the top of the ball. And as a result, there's going to be a net pressure difference. Okay, so from Bernoulli's equation, and we could rewrite this as P2 minus P1 equals one-half rho V1 squared minus V2 squared. I'm just starting with the same Bernoulli's equation. Again, the, the difference in height for the molecules that go over the top versus the bottom turns out to be insignificant. There's not much difference in potential energy for those molecules. Um, but they will travel significantly, at significantly different velocities relative to the ball. And therefore, they will have very different pressures. Okay, So the mo- molecules are going faster around the bottom. Do they have greater pressure or less pressure than at the top? Bottom will have greater pressure because it's moving faster. Well, that's, that's the, the maybe the intuitive result, but that's not, remember, we had this counterintuitive result. that the faster the fluid's going, the less pressure it has. The less pressure it has because it's converted that energy that was internal energy into uh, kinetic energy. So this actually is less pressure than the fluid over here. As a result, there's a net force pointing down on this baseball. Okay, so this diagram would be for a sinker. The ball's moving left to right. It's spinning from the top to the bottom, and that curves down. Uh, spoil- yeah, yeah, spoiler on a car works the same way. All right. so we'll, we'll do an example of an airplane wing, and a spoiler is an upside-down airplane wing. Okay, so um, let's do a couple demonstrations that demonstrate some of the properties of Bernoulli's law. Um, This is the one where you might get wet if you're sitting in the front. So I'm going to fill a cup with water, but this cup has a hole in it, so it's not going to stay filled with water. So my question is, what will happen? Let's see, I don't want to do this. If I let my finger off the hole, fluid flows out. What happens if I drop the cup? The cup falls. What's going to happen to the fluid flowing out? Let's figure it out first. Let's figure it out first. Right? We have fluid flowing. It's going to obey Bernoulli's law. Now, let's consider the stationary cup. We know fluid flows out. What is the pressure at the Surface of the fluid. This is a point that we actually know a lot about. The pressure here is atmospheric, so I'll call that point one and I'll call this point two. So, say the atmospheric pressure, so P1 equals atmospheric pressure. What about V1? What is the speed of the fluid at the surface? Zero. It's not exactly zero. Water's flowing out, so the, the, the level has to be going down. But it's going down pretty slowly relative to the rate at which this comes out. Okay, so we could say, using the continuity equation, the speed at which it comes out is going to look like A2 over A1 times V2. And as long as the area of this hole is small compared to the area at the top of the cup, I can approximate that by zero. And then it's got some potential energy. So the height of the fluid determines how much potential energy it has. OK, at point 2, what is the pressure when the water comes out the hole? well it's open to the atmosphere this this once it leaves the hole there's atmosphere all around the fluid therefore the pressure has to equal atmospheric if it were greater than atmospheric pressure then this stream of water would push out if it were less than atmospheric pressure it would get compressed so anytime a fluid is open to the atmosphere then the pressure of the fluid has to equal the pressure of the atmosphere Uh, the velocity, in this case, is not zero. But the height is. We'll call that height zero. Okay, so writing Bernoulli's law, and can say the atmospheric pressure plus rho GH, that's the left side. There's no kinetic energy term because there's no velocity. And on the right side, There's no potential energy term, but there is a kinetic energy term. Atmospheric pressure cancels out. The rows cancel. I can solve for V. V2 is the square root of 2GH. What changes if I drop the cup? NR? Well, the height is going to change as a function of time. That's true. Um, This velocity is no longer zero. There's a lot of ways to say it. Um, If the object's in free fall, the weight of the water above this point isn't going to be pushing down on it? Sam? Over here? The velocity is zero. I just, I didn't write that term. I could have written it and crossed it out and said it was zero. Um, Okay, so let's see what happens. So you I can only do this once and I'm probably going to get wet. So take a good look. There's the food. Anyone see? <laughs> That's why I recorded it this morning. Okay. Is that much clearer? Okay. Well, the thing with the record it's not exactly a high-speed camera, but let's see. Yeah, I'll just do it one frame at a time myself. Uh, okay, so the, what's the fluid doing? It's stopped. Yeah. The fluid stopped flowing when the, water, when the, when the uh, cup was dropped. Okay, so I've given you a few hints on why that is, but you can think about why it is. And uh, I'll offer, say, two points of extra credit, which is 1% of your grade, to the first, say, the, the first best solution posted on the discussion board. Okay, so I'll, I'll determine what's an acceptable solution and the, fir- the first acceptable solution, I'll, I'll, I'll award credit to. Why does the water stop flowing out of the hole when the cup falls? Okay, I know how to use Google too, so I want it. You're free to use Google, but you know, express it in your own terms. Okay, if I if I found find the same answer verbatim on Wikipedia, it's not gonna it's not gonna count. okay well that was good I didn't get it okay so let's do a couple example problems this is one I like um, it's basically a problem that we just kinda did where we have a cup with a hole in it or a tank with a hole in it uh, the top is open to atmosphere and so is the hole, and so waters gonna shoot out and the question is uh, where does this water land or more specifically where should the hole be along this height to maximize the distance the water shoots out okay so if we put a hole right at the top what do you expect to happen it will come out but there's not much pressure pushing it out because it's not very deep in the fluid it just kind of will pour out the side uh what if we put it right at the bottom there's a lot of pressure pushing it out, so it's going to come out very fast. But it's so low that it doesn't have time to get very far before it reaches the ground. Okay. So probably not at the bottom, probably not at the top. I've already started this problem, so let me just go back and use the work I've already done. Um, Let me just generalize this a little bit. The hole, saying, is a distance h below the surface, and the cup itself has a height big H. So that doesn't affect the pressure, the velocity, height y1 the height of the fluid at the top, I'm going to call big H. Okay, so this is point one still. This is point two, where the fluid leaves the hole. So at point two, we're at atmospheric pressure, an unknown velocity, and a height that I'll now call H minus little h. So when you have fluid flowing, you're either going to use the continuity equation or Bernoulli's equation. Here, we're interested in how far this thing goes. That's going to be a function of how fast it's moving when it comes out. So we want to know the speed that it comes out. So we're going to use continuity the uh, Bernoulli's equation. I'll write out all the terms. Pressure 1 is atmospheric pressure plus rho GY1. So Y1 is capital H plus one-half rho v1 squared. I'm going to approximate that as zero. Um, So typically you'll see problems where they say a large tank with a small hole. That means large tank, small hole, means the velocity at the top is essentially zero. Okay, so that equals at the output, atmospheric pressure, some potential energy, because it's not at the bottom of the cup where we're calling the height zero, and some kinetic energy due to an unknown velocity. If we can find that velocity, then what we have left is a problem from Chapter 3, an object moving horizontally with a certain velocity from a certain height up where does it land that's a projectile motion problem okay so the first part of this is going to be to find that velocity and then we're going to have to remember how to do projectile motion problems okay so atmospheric pressure cancels rows cancel we can bring this term over to this side and we get uh GH minus GH plus G little h equals 1 half V2 squared. Solving for V2, we get a familiar expression. V2 is square root of 2G little h. Little h is how far the fluid has fallen. You may recognize this. Uh, we've come across that form for the velocity a lot. That's how fast something is moving when it falls the distance h from rest with acceleration to gravity g. Okay, so it turns out if you dropped, say, a water balloon from here, and you measured its speed when it got there, it would be the same as the speed of the water if this tank were full and it just came out there. Doesn't matter whether it fell the whole way Or whether it shot out here because it was being pushed out by the weight of all the water above it. Okay, so we know that velocity. Now we need to figure out where it lands and try to maximize that distance. Okay, so I'll draw a diagram. Um, This water comes out a height h h minus little h above the ground right? because the tank was a height h the depth of the hole was l- uh, little h below that and it lands a distance that I'll call r away so what I want to do now is figure out how long it takes the water to fall this distance and once I know that length of time I can ask how far it travels given its initial velocity. Okay, so to start with, I want to look in the y direction and relate height to time. All right? So that's my expression. Now, The height at the time that I'm looking for is zero. I'm looking for the time when it hits the ground. It starts at the hole, which is the height of big H minus little h. What's its initial y-velocity? It's zero. If this is a vertical wall, the water will shoot out horizontally. It will shoot out normal to the surface. And as a result, its initial velocity will be zero. I'll just note that there. It will be accelerating due to gravity, so that means the acceleration in y is minus g. Okay, so I have to solve this for t. multiply both sides by 2, and then divide both sides by g. Take the square root of both sides. And that gives me T. Quick check of the dimensions. This is a length divided by a length per time squared. So the lengths cancel out. Time squared in the numerator, square root of that gives me a time. Okay, so confident that I'm doing the right thing. This is how long it takes the water to fall to the ground. I know it was initially moving with no vertical velocity, so this velocity has to be entirely horizontal. So let me figure out how far it goes. How far, which is r, does it go in time t, where t is 2 h minus h over g? Okay, so I'm going to have a similar expression for the horizontal displacement as I had for the vertical displacement if I relate it to time. So I'll call its starting position x equals 0 and its final position r. Its initial velocity I've already solved for. That was the square root of 2g little h. The time, I have a specific time that I want to consider. So let me plug that in. And then this acceleration term is zero because there's no acceleration along x. okay? So I can just uh, cancel a few terms. Everything's in a, inside a square root. The g's cancel. 2 and 2, I can pull that outside of the square root. And I have h, little h, times big h minus little h. You okay. can check the dimensions on that as well. I have a length times a length. So I have length squared inside the square root. So I have a length. For my range. So evidently, this is an expression that tells me where it will land. The question was, where should the hole be for it to travel the furthest? So I want to maximize R. How do I do that? It involves calculus. Cecilia? Let me Let me get Cecilia. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, to maximize a function, so recall to maximize, say, uh, y of t, I would say find the derivative, set it equal to zero, and then plug that value into my function. Okay. Another way of saying that is if I plot r versus h. Let me just sketch this plot first. Um, when little h is equal to 0, the is at the very top, this distance is 0. Right? I have a 0 times some quantity. So it starts at 0. And when little h equals big H, That means the hole is all the way at the bottom. The height is, or the range is also zero. That's what I started with. My physical intuition said those two things should be true. And somewhere in between, there must be a maximum range then. So to find that maximum range, I'm going to say the slope at that maximum point should be zero. That's what this is. Solve for the point where the slope is zero, and then plug it into my expression. Okay, so in this case, I'm maximizing as a function of little h. So I'll look for dr, dh. There's a trick I can do to make the math a little easier. I have a function which is the square root of some quantity. So I could also say the point where r is the largest, r squared would also be the largest r squared is equal to 4 times h times big H minus little h. Right, so if I find the maximum of r squared, what height r squared is maximized, that will be the same height that r is maximized. And it'll be a little easier or more straightforward to take the derivatives of this and to take the derivatives of that. Okay, so I will maximize r squared. Okay, so differentiating this with respect to H, I will use a chain rule. Or actually maybe more easy to see what I'm doing if I expand this out. The derivative of 4 little h big H, with respect to little h, is 4 big H. And the derivative of the second term, I have an h squared, so the 2 comes out front. I have minus 8 little h. I want that to equal 0. So I'll solve for the value of little h that makes that 0. Halfway up is what that says. So so probably not that surprising. I know its range is zero when the holes at the bottom or the top. Halfway in the middle is where I get the the largest range. And that's what I was asked for. Where should the hole be for the water to travel the furthest? If I want, I can plug that in to my expression here to figure out just how far it travels. That's a useful exercise. So R at H equals big H over 2 is square root of uh, is 2 square root of this quantity. And that looks like H. Kind of interesting geometry. However high this tank is, that's how far the water can shoot. Well, how, how, yes, how high it's filled. So that's the height of the, the fluid in it. So this is a very common type of problem that requires the use of Bernoulli's equation, Uh, but it doesn't stop with the use of Bernoulli's equation. We then went back to kinematics. So as we get further and further along in the semester and we have more and more stuff behind us, we're going to encounter this more and more where the problems that we deal with require us to go back and use some content from earlier in the semester. Okay, more example problems. Um, an airplane uses a bur- this effect to fly. Adriana? Can you run through everything and sequence like what you did? On this problem? Yeah. Yeah. So let me do that, and then I'll, I'll, start, I'll erase everything and start the airplane problem. So hopefully it's a little more ordered. Uh, first, I drew, di- drew a diagram of what was going on, labeled all the parameters. I picked two points one where I knew a lot about the fluid, that was at the surface, and one where I didn't know everything but wanted to, and that was where the fluid was coming out the hole. And I wrote down everything I knew about the fluid at those points and identified what I didn't know. I used Bernoulli's equation between the two points to solve for the thing I didn't know. And once I had that, I applied that to the problem To relate that through this kinematic expression to figure out what the problem is asking okay so i'm going to skip this this the step-by-step of this part uh, for now just because uh, i want to have more time to focus on the new material and i'll go through the steps more slowly and hopefully in more ordered fashion in the next example (laughs) okay so this next example involves a flying airplane we're given some parameters or the wing of the airplane. We know the wing is what provides the lift to make it fly. And we want to figure out how fast it has to go to take off. So uh, we're told the mass of the airplane, that's important. That determines its gravitational force. The lift has to overcome that, so we know what net force needs to push up. Um, We know the size of the wing, that's important, because the upwards force comes from the pressure difference. The greater the area pressure difference axon the greater force it will produce so we know the area um we know the length and the width of the wing um the wing is shaped so that the top surface is 10% larger than the bottom surface why is that relevant Alexander uh, it provides lift and in terms of the Bernoulli equation see what what does that change Yeah, so the pressure on top's got to be lower than that on bottom to get a netwards up force. And that's because the streamlines, the, the fluid has to flow faster over the top in order to cover, to cross a greater, uh, a longer surface than it does on the bottom. Okay, the time it takes a fluid to flow past the wing is just, really, it's the time it takes the wing to flow past the fluid. Right, so it's the same whether it's the fluid on top or the bottom. But on the top, it has to go 10% further, 10% of 2 meters, so 20 centimeters further than on the bottom. So it has to go 10% faster. Okay, so let's set this up. We'll draw a diagram. We know that there's weight pushing down, and it's the force of lift pushing up, and that force is going to be due to the pressure difference above and below, so I'll call call it uh, above and below, point A and B. So that lift force comes from pressure on the bottom minus the pressure on the top, and the bottom has a greater pressure than the top, there will be an upwards force. So I've drawn it upwards, I've labeled it such that that will be the case. That force times the area of the wing over which it acts. Okay, so I need those things to at least balance. Actually, I need this to be larger than this in order for the plane to take off. So I will solve for the case where the force is just balanced. So adding up the forces in Y... Pb minus Pa times the area of the wing minus Mg. That's equal to the mass times acceleration in y. And I'll solve for the point where the acceleration is zero, so it's just able to fly. Okay, so in order to know anything about the pressure difference, I need to use Bernoulli's equation. That's the equation that tells us how the pressure changes in a moving fluid. Okay, so let me write out the Newly's equation. First I'll write out the full form of the equation, then we'll identify which terms are relevant, which ones are not. So there's Bernoulli's equation between point A and B. Before I go any further, I'll just point out a a subtle little note. The fluid never actually flows from point A to point B. And we derived Bernoulli's equation for the fluid going from point A to point B. But what we could say is somewhere over here at point C, where the height, the velocity, and the pressure of both of those streamlines is the same, the energy per unit volume over at point C is the same as at point B, and at C is the same as point A, therefore A is the same as B. Okay, So that's a subtlety, but I'll just point it out in case you were wondering. Okay, now what do we know about these terms? Um, pressure A and pressure B is what we care about. We want to find the difference between them. Okay, So let's not try to plug in anything for them. Let's not assume it's atmospheric pressure or anything else. Uh, we'll rearrange this to solve for the difference between those. And then what about the other terms? Um, what about the height, the bottom and top of the wing? Mm, I don't actually know. I'm not, told, I'm not told the height of the wing. I'm told how much longer the top is than the bottom. turns out this is negligible. The difference between these two terms is negligible. A couple reasons why. Um, that height is relatively small. So, unlike our tank of water that might be many meters tall, it's relatively small. Also, the density is relatively small since we're dealing with air here, not water. And also, since we're not given that information that's kind of a clue that maybe it's, it's either something we need to solve for or something that we don't need. And in this case, it's something we don't need. We'll assume the gravitational potential energy is comparable on the top and bottom of the wing. But the kinetic energy is very different. We know that on the top surface, since it's 10% longer than the bottom surface, the air has to move 10% faster. So we know Vb is equal to 1.1 times V A. So we'll plug that in for V B. We'll rearrange this to give us P B minus P A. And then the last thing we'll do is we'll recognize that V A, the speed at which the air is going underneath the wing, how does that relate to the speed of the airplane? It's, it's the same speed as it, it's the airspeed of the airplane. Right? So the airplane's going to the left, the wind's going to the right. That is the airspeed. So that's really what we're trying to solve for. When we're asked how fast must it go, we're asked for what VA is. OK, so bring this term over here and then this term over here. We get the difference in pressure. Is one half row VB squared, which is one point one VA squared minus VA squared. One point one squared is one point two one. So I can write this, I can factor out that term, and I can say one-half rho times 1.21 minus 1 times VA squared, or one-half rho times 0.21 VA squared. That's the pressure difference from the bottom to the top. So I can go back up to where I had figured out what that pressure difference needs to be, plug it in to the formula, and solve for the required velocity of the airplane in order for that equilibrium condition to be met. 1 half rho times 0.21 va squared. That's the pressure difference. I multiply that by the area of the wing, and that has to equal... Weight of the airplane. Right, so this is the upwards lift force. That's the weight of the airplane. Now I can solve for V A. So I will first put these on the other side. And I will finish my solution for VA, and I'm missing an A. Yeah. Yeah. Pressure? yeah. PB minus PA is this term. plug that in over here how did I get from here to here this one that came from Bernoulli's equation Um, let's see I brought PB over to this side so did I write that backwards I did yeah did I? I just did right now, but if I bring PB onto this side, I've got PA minus PB over here, right? And on the right, VB squared minus VA squared. Oh, okay. Um, what I did wrong is this should have been VA equals 1.1 VB. same result. I'm just solving, I mix my a's and b's up. What I'm trying to find is the velocity of the air on the bottom of the airplane. And that's what I've got an expression for now. It's still there. I just, I didn't write it out explicitly. It's pa minus pb. Right, and now what I've done is I've substituted, let's see in the top equilibrium condition, where I have Pb minus Pa minus mg equals zero. I've rewritten that down here, and I've replaced Pb minus Pa with this. Okay, so I have numbers I can plug in, right? 3,100 kilograms, 9.8 meters per second squared. density of air is what? Does anyone remember from last time? It's just one. What are the units? Yeah. Kilograms per meter cubed. And the area of the wing was 20 meters. Okay. So if I evaluate all of that, I get 70 meters per second. And if you like, that is 157 miles per hour. Okay, so is that realistic? Yeah, probably. To the extent that those are realistic parameters to the airplane, that's a realistic velocity we need to go. Would the parameters be similar to the picture? Well. Yeah, I made those numbers up but I made them up from my own sort of personal experience. I, I, I'm not intimately familiar with airplane design, but I kind of know how big they are and that's all. So I mean, it kind of worked out. Um, so anyhow, let me, we don't have time to do any of the other example problems, but um, so recall this, how I started off the class. What's happening here is there's a stream of air, right? And as this tips, The ball tries to fall down, so it actually moves down a little bit in that stream, causing more of the air to have to go over the top. And essentially, the bottom half of the ball is in stationary air, the top half of the ball is going to have this stream of air going over it. The air moving faster over the top has lower pressure, and so there's a net force, a lift force pushing this way, and then there's also some drag force pushing that way, gravity pushing down. Those all balance, and that's why that ping-pong ball could levitate okay so two equations that we learned today continuity equation tells us about flow rates relates areas and volumes and Bernoulli's equation is conservation of energy we use it in the same way we use conservation of energy for solids it relates pressure height and velocity see you next week